Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. The envelope, please. That's right. It's time for the 2020 Cardinals Awards. Kyle Odegaard is back. He does this every year on azcardinals.com. In the last couple of years here with us, it's always fun, and this year was no exception. Also, we'll preview Championship Sunday, Bills at Chiefs and Buccaneers at Packers. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 388, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2 with Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. Murray rolls to the right, throws near side, defense caught, and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Here's Craig Grealoux and Mike Jarecki. So there's nothing new on the Larry Fitzgerald front except this. Phillip Rivers drafted one pick after Fitz was selected by the Cardinals in 2004, announced his retirement yesterday. It got people wondering, MJ. That's all I'm going to leave it at, that perhaps, maybe, Fitz would be the next. Although, there's another quarterback in that draft class. There is some questions about his future, and that would be Ben Roethlisberger. So Fitz is not alone, although that 2004 draft class, the entire draft class, getting smaller and smaller as far as players still in the National Football League. Yeah, I mean, uh, now that Rivers is retired, you take a look at and, and, and some really interesting names in that draft. Uh, you know, uh, Sean Taylor, unfortunately, he passed away. Will Smith passed away. And then the obviously the uh, situation with Kellen Winslow wasn't good, considering, you know, his father was a Hall of Famer. But, yeah, you look at Larry and Roethlisberger and Jason Peters. He wasn't part of that draft class. He was an undrafted free agent. Okay. But con- – Technically, but he wasn't drafted. And then Andy Lee, and uh, I don't know if he counts, though, because you look at punters, no disrespect, but uh, these other guys played in the trenches and played so. But, yeah, that um, could go down one of the the best quarterback class. I'm sure it's going to go with the one back in 1983 when six quarterbacks were drafted. Some didn't make it. But, uh, yeah, nothing new on Larry. Uh, Again, I think he's going to take his time. you know, we in years past, we've heard something around the uh, Phoenix Open. And then, you know, before he gets to the Super Bowl, but I I think he's just taking his time, weighing all his options. And, uh, I mean, I don't think he'll make an announcement at the Super Bowl. Um, he could, um, but I don't, I don't think there's a, a certain date uh, just based on what I know and what I'm hearing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Emmett Smith announce his retirement during Super Bowl week? Yes, and and Dan Bickley and I were 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 in uh, we were at the Super Bowl that year, and we got clipped uh, tipped off by Clarence Hill, who covered Emmitt Smith. And the NFL fronds upon guys making those decisions during Super Bowl week because they don't want all the attention. But you know, Emmitt did have an ego. Yeah, we knew the night before, but it was announced at the Super Bowl. That is correct. And speaking of the Waste Management Phoenix Open, Larry Fitzgerald is scheduled to participate in the Pro-Am the week of the Super Bowl, but that is a Wednesday. Certainly would allow Fitz plenty of time to travel to Tampa later in the week, but he is among the list of athletes and celebrities that will participate that week, whether he's made available to the media or not, who knows. It's not the first time that he's been involved and certainly won't be the last time that he plays in that event. We also know this, Kyle is coming up next, but first need to remind the Bird Gang to update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. He is the master of ceremonies, the host of the 2020 Cardinals Awards. He is Kyle Odegaard. Once again, joining Cardinals Cover 2. What are this? Three straight appearances, Kyle. We're at this rate. We're going to have to put you on payroll if this keeps up. I, I think Cardinals Cover 3. We should change the name. <laughs> hey, I like it. it. It works. We'll just see how much of a defense that provides against some of these high-powered offenses around <laughs> the league. All right. 2020, as we look back, Cardinals Awards You've been doing this for a few years now, but you're looking at basically in-house 27 people, part of the Arizona Cardinals.com team of people, whether it's broadcasters, whether it's online, whether it's digital behind the scenes people, but uh, basically everyone who has followed the team 
from the start of training camp all the way to the end of the regular season. Yeah, it's a good collection of different people. Like you said, some good voices, several former players, um, you know, Ron Wolfley and Bertram Barry and Rob Fredrickson, some guys that, you know, know the game at a really good level. And it's interesting seeing all the different choices. And this year there were certainly some names that stood out. There was a lot of agreement this season on who these award winners should be compared to the last few seasons. It's been a little bit more spread out. Well, there are six different categories. We'll work our way towards most valuable Cardinal. I want to start with what I think is probably the more fun category, certainly a lot of debate, and that is beyond the box score player of the year. Stats may not totally reflect his worth, and the winner of this award is who, Kyle? The winner of that one was Dennis Gardeck, and he got 18 votes out of the 27, and and you're right, Craig. This is a an area where there's always a lot of different votes because you interpret it how you want. What is beyond the box score mean to you? But Dennis Gardeck uh, was my choice. And I think it made sense because yes, he did have seven sacks on the season, which was really incredible, but it didn't exactly tell everything about what he did, where he came into the season. He was an inside linebacker last year. He switched to outside linebacker. He certainly seemed like just a special teams piece like he would like he had been the previous couple of years. And then Chandler Jones got hurt. He got his opportunity and he was fantastic. And he's also an emotional leader for this team. So a lot of people chose Dennis Gardeck. And, and to me, that made a lot of sense. Yeah, I think all three of us picked Dennis Gardeck, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, I went with DJ Humphreys because I've kind of gone with looking at the offensive line when this award comes up every single year. And I think I got chastised by our master of ceremonies one year when I just basically put the entire offensive line (laughs) because I couldn't single one out, but I did put Humphreys just because of the left tackle and how well he played and how he graded out. And certainly it's one of those cornerstone positions that you have to have. Yeah, and and listen, I don't think there's any wrong answer. I see Zeke Turner on here. I see Isaiah Simmons. You see DJ Humphreys. But just the fact that he played 93 snaps and, you know, he's undersized. He's not the biggest guy. He plays with a lot of energy and passion. And, you know, he probably never gets the credit. And, you know, whether he's going to be a free agent this year or next year, I don't think anyone's going to throw a ton of money at him. But he's a great player on special teams, and you root for underdogs. And so I think he definitely fills that box. I also gave an honorable mention to Corey Peters because if you looked, and I actually went back, when he got hurt that second half of the season, those final seven games, this team was able, unable, I should say, to really stop the run. And I think we might have seen a different outcome, especially those final two weeks, if you not only had Peters on the field, just his play, but also his presence. And yeah, when you're around, you're injured, you're still around. But I just think this defense really missed Corey Peters, especially down the stretch of the regular season. Yeah, I I like both Corey Peters and DJ Humphreys from your thought process, because I think both those guys really fit that description where you look at a box score after a game, obviously DJ Humphreys isn't going to be in there. And sometimes Corey Peters might have three or four tackles and you don't understand the impact he had, but I think it's been shown year after year when Corey Peters is in the game compared to when he's not, the run defense is a lot different. So I think you're right, Craig, when you don't have him on the field, not only is he a leader and a guy that's kind of a mentor to younger players, but he's still very good at his job and his job is stopping the run. Well, let's see. What if? I mean, no Chandler Jones for the majority of the season, no Robert Alford. And Corey Peters was a big loss, not only just on the field, but we know in the locker room. And, you know, he was occupying two bodies where, you know, and then Jordan Phillips. I mean, they they went out and spent a lot of money on him. And he obviously didn't have the year that everyone thought he would, considering he put up numbers in Buffalo. So when you start taking pieces like that away, a guy you give a five-year contract to, a guy who's been in the system, and then Alford and then Chandler Jones – you know, every team has injuries, but those were those were affected at important positions. Now, granted, they did finish in the top five or six in sacks more by committee, and you got to give Dennis Gardeck a lot of credit there. Yeah, no wrong answer with this one, but the 2020 award for Beyond the Box Score Player of the Year is Dennis Gardeck. That leads us to Play of the Year. One single play, 
And I don't think there is any debate on this one. In fact, we talked about it when we were going through our offensive discussion with Kyle, and that is one play, and it was at the or against the Buffalo Bills, and that was the Hale Murray. This had to have been unanimous, Kyle. Yeah, do you know how hard it is to get 27 people to agree on anything? <laughs> but here it was, the Hale Murray. Every single person wrote that down as the play of the year. But you're right. I mean, what other option was there? It was a, a play that was the most memorable for the Cardinals, in my opinion, since the Hale Larry, which was 2015. So we're talking about five seasons. If you look in the entire NFL this year, that was probably the signature play. Another one was the Cardinals Seahawks game when Buda Baker got tracked down by DK Metcalf. So the Cardinals had two of the most memorable plays of the entire NFL season. But I mean, the Hale Murray, we've talked about it ad nauseum, but the job that Kyler Murray was able to do on that play, escaping the rush, throwing across his body a really perfect, accurate strike, and then DeAndre Hopkins jumping higher than those three defenders that were in really good position and coming down with that ball. It was it was incredible, and I mean, it was unanimous. Everybody yeah. loved that play. I think you know, there were only, what, 4,500 fans or so in the stands. And when he caught that, the place erupted like there were 15,000. So it was a, a, such a cool moment and, to me, the pinnacle of the Cardinals season. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, after that, you know, it started going on that losing streak from a standpoint of just, you know, if they don't win that game, then all of a sudden it would have been a lot worse. But his uncanny ability to, to, to reach the ball at the highest peak, I mean, it was, it was fascinating to watch. I think we've been spoiled with Larry over the years. And we talked about it. I thought it was – I thought the throw was just as important as the catch because he was being flushed out of the pocket. He was getting close to the sidelines. He didn't really throw that moon ball, but he did see Hop, and Hop put his hand up, and, and three guys were draped on him. And we know the Bills made adjustments down the stretch when it came to a playoff game of, you know, knocking the ball down. But just that play, and I think it should be play of the year. I'm sure there's other plays out there, maybe the Buddha play, just because of the uh, the game against the Seahawks on national television, but also the Bills game, just because the Bills are one of the up-and-coming teams in the league. But clearly it should be in, in the running for play of the year. And to this point, that was the last time the Bills lost a ball game. So the Cardinals have that going for them, even though they're not in the playoffs right now. As we continue here, Cardinals awards for 2020 newcomer of the year. First season with the team. And this, Kyle, is regardless of whether you were acquired via free agency, trade or draft pick. Yeah, so a lot of different options and some guys that got votes, which I thought made sense, were Kelvin Beecham, uh, who, who stepped in nicely at right tackle, especially when Marcus Gilbert decided to opt out. And you had Josh Jones, a rookie, but you wanted a veteran to be able to have that job if Josh Jones wasn't ready. And, and Kelvin Beecham, I thought, came in and played really well. Devondre Campbell also got a few votes a guy who um, stepped in nicely at inside linebacker and and just didn't have an offseason, came in, and it looked like he'd been within this defense the last five years, a very smart guy. Um, but the winner was DeAndre Hopkins, which obviously makes a ton of sense. It was his first season with the team, a guy who lived up to all the hype, the, the billing. We just talked about the Hale Murray. And beyond that, he was the – biggest threat the Cardinals had offensively, a guy that anytime Kyler Murray seemed like he was in a pinch, that's who he was looking for. And DeAndre Hopkins is kind of interesting because the measurables don't exactly blow you away. Looking at him, he's not like this DK Metcalf Hulk type body, but he's just such a good football player. And you really appreciate that when you watch him game after game. And I think that's really what the voting panel saw is, is just how consistent and consistently excellent DeAndre Hopkins is. Yeah, I went with Campbell just from a standpoint of, you know, tight ends was a big issue. Now, I'm not saying he covered every tight end down the field. Um, you know, he, he did miss a little bit of time there, but I, I thought he really settled that position down from a year ago. Um, you know, and the fact that he's on a one-year deal, knowing that he's basically bet on himself and you know, now with Isaiah Simmons in the mix, I assume that he'll uh, test free agency and the Cardinals feel like they have their guy in the middle. But I just like to spread some of the awards around. And, you know, we'll get into the MVP and the Offensive Player of the Year. But uh, I, I thought Campbell and Beecham's a great choice, too, because he kind of bailed them out. 
and his grades were decent all year. I mean, uh, even though Justin Murray and Sweezy were kind of alternating at right guard, he really held that right side down. And I want to say he probably played the most snaps with DJ Humphreys on the offensive line. And that's important when you start talking about protecting the edge, especially when this team goes four and five wide. Statistically speaking, Hopkins, number two in receptions, number three in receiving yards. Was this the best first season for a player wearing a Cardinals uniform? And while you guys think about that, because I kind of went back, and the first season that came to mind that might have been a comparison was our colleague Bertram Berry. His first season with the Cardinals, he had 14 and a half sacks in 2004, and that's the only thing that I can compare is just from a numbers standpoint because Hopkins top three amongst all receivers in the league, and here's Bertram Berry, not only double-digit sacks, but – 14, that's that's a that's a lofty number up there. And I just wonder if you're going to compare from one season to the next, Hopkins and Bertram Berry, it might be the only time we're mentioning those two names in the same sentence. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good, you know, combination of two guys who came in immediately and really seamlessly played well. And that's that's not always easy to do. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys with name recognition come to the Cardinals or other teams, and they just couldn't have the type of production that they did on their previous teams because you're in a new scheme and you're with new coaches and new players. And that first season, it's not easy. So I think what DeAndre Hopkins did was pretty impressive. I mean, he's obviously a a supernatural talent and that was always going to translate, but it could have translated to 11 or 1200 yards this season, which would have been solid. And that's maybe where I thought he might be in his first year. And instead it was 1400 plus. So uh, just a standout season. Anquan Bolden also came to mind, even though he was a rookie, he had a, a really nice first season for the Cardinals, but you're right. Bertram Berry and hop seem like the top two. All right. Three down three to go before we continue though, here on this Thursday edition of Cardinals cover two presented by Hyundai proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. If you want more Kyle, if you want Kyle right at your fingertips, then you need to update to the latest version of the Cardinals mobile app today. The update features an all-new redesigned home screen experience. Visit azcardinals.com slash app for more. All right, gentlemen, defensive player of the year. I think there are two main players that we can talk about here, Buda Baker and Hassan Reddick. But Kyle, as our master of ceremonies here, which player came away with defensive player of the year honors? Yeah, the winner was Buda Baker. You're right. It was definitely a two-horse race. Those were the two players that got votes. And Hassan Reddick had a nice showing in the vote category, which makes sense. I mean, he he started the season as a backup outside linebacker. Everybody wondered what kind of role he would have. And you look by the end of the season, 12 and a half sacks, six forced fumbles, a guy who was on the field like 90 to 100% of the time every game, like for the last half of the season, because he was that indispensable. Uh, but Buda Baker did win it. And it's hard to argue with that. He, he won an all pro honor. He was a, a pro bowler. Once again, a guy who, especially in that month of October, just really took it over and, and moved to a new level. The Cowboys game, when he got that first pick, Um, of his career, I think that game really showed his versatility because he had a forced fumble, a sack, an interception, and then he follows that up with the great play uh, of intercepting Russell Wilson in the right by the Cardinals goal line, almost returning it for a touchdown. So I think that stretch especially showed just how how talented and how um, important Buda Baker is to this team. He wasn't as impactful down the stretch but it's hard to blame him because Vance Joseph said that teams were making concerted effort to not let Buda Baker make plays and whether throwing away from him or making sure he was blocked on blitzes, he got to the point where he's such an important player that teams did almost like a box in one and one in basketball where you're making sure a certain guy can't beat you and Buda Baker got that treatment. Well, and plus you take a look at, you know, the backups he was playing with Chris Banjo for a majority of the time there, between Jalen and Deontay Thompson, they couldn't stay healthy. They were mixing and matching. Um, but again, he leads the team in tackles with 118, finished with two sacks, two six, uh, interceptions, six passes defense. He should have scored on, on the uh, DK Metcalf play. But, you know, we, we watched that Carolina game, and, and Murray said they came out flat, which shouldn't have happened when you lose to the Lions at home. 
Um, and it really showed. I mean, you look at Teddy Bridgewater, he hadn't run for a, a touchdown for 25 yards probably for three or four years. So they definitely missed him. Um, I think, you know, I thought he, you know, teams were staying away from him and he was trying to make plays. Sometimes you got to let him come to you. And I think we saw that body of work, though. You know, nothing against Hassan Reddick week seven to week 11 didn't have a, a sack or a quarterback hit, uh, hit. So body of work, we know how much they missed him. I, clearly, I thought Budabaker was the MVP and, and it's probably going to be in the same conversation for the next few years. I was part of the vocal minority amongst this because I did go with Hassan Reddick just because of what he was able to do stepping in for Chandler Jones. And I was influenced by the production finishing in the top three in sacks, tackles for loss and forced fumbles. No other defensive player in the national football league can stake that claim. And I thought it was a wonderful season. Was it a contract year? Who knows? But now we've got that interesting conversation about what do you do if you're the Cardinals with Reddick going into free agency? And is there a market for a player like that? Or is it more because of the system that he plays in? But he certainly is an outside linebacker and not an inside linebacker. So, again, couldn't go wrong either way. Budabaker or Hassan Reddick, two very important pieces for that defense, especially considering the number of pieces this defense lost during the course of the season. And I think when you say one-year wonder in regards to Hassan Reddick, that's certainly true because his production this season was light years ahead of anything he did in his first three. But I, I think there's a caveat because he was finally at the position to which he could excel at, at outside linebackers. So if they did this in his third year, and then he did it again in his fourth. Obviously, the free agency would be a lot different where, hey, this guy's going to get premium money from somebody. Now the question is, can he do it again? Which it's a legitimate question. Do the Cardinals believe that he is a double-digit sack guy? Or are they a little bit worried that maybe it was just one really good season highlighted by one five-sack game? So I think it's a very intriguing question. But Knowing his background where he's got the pedigree of a first-round pick, he's got this really crazy athleticism for an outside linebacker, and you've seen guys like Vaughn Miller who are similar to his size have success as speed rushers, and from what I saw, I didn't think it was fluky the way Hassan Reddick um, got after the quarterback, especially in certain games like the Seattle game at home, obviously the Giants game. There, there were contests in which Hassan Reddick was – the best player on the field, and and that's hard to do in the NFL. So I think he certainly has has a market that's going to be way bigger than we thought it was going to be. Exactly where that goes remains to be seen, but I think he made himself a lot of money this season. Well, and if you look at the draft, there's not a lot of great pass rushers. Now, I'm sure you can find one in the third or fourth round. It could be a situation or rotation guy. Um, I think the question becomes, who do you rather have? Hassan Reddick or Marcus Golden? Now, Marcus Golden's had some injuries. He's been able to stay healthy the last couple of years. Hassan had that ankle injury, kind of put him behind the eight ball uh, going into camp, and clearly they made the right decision. So, And then Chandler Jones goes into final year coming off, uh, you know, not an ACL injury, but, a, you know, a pectoral. Um, he's going to be 31 or 32. His cap number is $20 million. If the Cardinals decided to trade him, uh, they would say 15 million. So maybe you can afford to move some money around. It's listen, we all talk about the cap going down. There's teams out there that are gonna have cap space, and pass rushers are not growing on trees. Usually teams cut keep these players. Somebody can offer or sign one year for eight million dollars. I mean, um, will the Cardinals do that? Can the Cardinals put the tag on them and try to trade them just to get some value? I mean, these are things that obviously they're discussing. So it'd be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, I, I look at Chandler Jones. Is is he going to start hitting the wall just like Clayus Campbell did? Do you give him a two-year contract? Is he looking for more? Is he a guy you can obviously, you know, uh, listen for phone calls? I don't know because, um, you know, you got to make a decision. But I, I think I would take Golden over Reddick. And all it takes is one team in free agency as far as putting an offer in front of Reddick and then he's – gone. I'm not going to fault him for that, especially considering what he has gone through up until this point. Let's move to Offensive Player of the Year. And again, I think there are two main nominees here, just like there were for Defensive Player of the Year, although I think the voting was a little bit more skewed in one direction. Kyler Murray or DeAndre Hopkins? Kyle, who won Offensive Player of the Year here for the Cardinals Awards for 2020? 
DeAndre Hopkins did get the honor for this one. And, and it's an interesting question because obviously Kyler Murray is somebody who is the engine to the offense and, and had a really nice season. And it depends, I think, kind of how you break it down. And I personally also voted for DeAndre Hopkins because when you talk about offensive player of the year, I look at it like, how did you compare to players at your position? And DeAndre Hopkins is head and shoulders above the rest of A, the Cardinals receivers, and B, most of the receivers in the NFL, except for maybe two or three. So to me, that's why I put DeAndre Hopkins there. He had a, a great season, and Kyler Murray was very good, but he was maybe more in the 10 to 15 range among quarterbacks when DeAndre Hopkins was top three for wide receivers, and, and that's my reasoning behind picking DeAndre Hopkins. I took Kyler Murray. Um, I thought Murray obviously threw for less uh, – close to 4,000 yards, just shy of it, second in the team in rushing, averaging 6.2 yards and 11 touchdowns. I didn't like the way Murray played down the stretch. Um, and I know he was playing through injuries. A lot of guys are playing through injuries and, you know, just not being able to see the field. And uh, I just didn't like the way he played down the stretch. So I, I went with him, the offensive player of the year. I went with Murray as well, just because of what he was able to do as far as total touchdowns, as far as whether it was rushing, whether it was passing, he accounted for more than 75% of the team's touchdowns this season. And I think that tilted it for me over Hopkins just because, yeah, he had the catches, he had the raw yards. He just only had six receiving touchdowns. And I don't know if that was because opposing defenses wouldn't allow him into the end zone. It wasn't looked at, targeted inside the 20-yard line. But I would think going forward, Kyle, that six has got to be the low water mark when it comes to Hopkins scoring touchdowns. That's got to be a number that you got to get into double digits as we continue this Murray Hopkins relationship. Uh, I don't really care about touchdowns personally. It's like if, if Deandre Hopkins catches a 40 yard pass and gets you down to the three yard line and then Kenyon Drake runs it in, then it's not a big deal to me. I think it's it's more about the overall production. And you look at the way he scored. I mean, so many of those were memorable, long touchdown passes. And, and that's really important. It kind of depends how they come. I mean, if he gives you five touchdowns of 20 yards or more, I would take that over 12 touchdowns total, which includes three on pick plays from the two yard lines or a wide receiver screen from the one, you know, it, not all touchdowns are alike. So that's why I thought, even though he had the low touchdown total did not bother me because Kenyon Drake had a big time number of touchdowns, but overall, I don't think Kenyon Drake played as well as he did last season. So I, I think touchdowns are kind of spread out and kind of random. Um, but DeAndre Hopkins, the way he contributed, I do think his touchdown total will go up next season just because the Cardinals will target him a lot in the end zone. But if he gets six or 12, it doesn't really matter to me. It was a great really analytical answer there, Kyle. I just want to throw <laughs> that in there. It was a, a very, very good analytical answer. I, everything you said, I, could, I agree with you, but uh, I love how you uh, worked the numbers there. Yeah, I mean, I, I you start looking at, you know, some of the wide receivers this year, uh, Devontae Adams, 18, uh, and they have other talent on the roster. They have a good running game. Tyreek Hill, 15. Adam Thielen, I'm talking about number one wide receivers, 14. Mike Evans, 14. DK Metcalf, 12. A.J. Brown, 12. Travis Kelsey, um, more of a tight end. Um, and, it, and it's not like, you know, what, who led the team in uh, touchdowns this, this year, Hopkins or Kirk? Now they both finished with six. Yeah, I mean that's not that's not good enough to be a number one wide receiver, in my opinion. You have to take the top off the defense. We know, and I get what you're saying, Kyle. If he's going to get forty yarders, but he had fourteen hundred yards receiving. I know, but six touchdowns. I mean, when I look at other number one wide receivers, they're putting up double digits. This has got to be his. Was it his career low when it came to touchdowns this year? I think it was, but if you're going to give me 1,100 yards and 12 touchdowns or 1,406, give me the guy that gives you the yardage. Well, you know, points matter, though. I mean, you can kick field goals if you could down, you throw a 40-yard pass and get down to the five-yard line. You don't get that. I, I know what you're saying. And listen, I, I pick, we're going to get into I picked him for the MVP uh, because of the numbers he put up. And, and you made a great point, Kyle, where he's ranked at his position versus Kyler Murray – Kyler Murray, he's not – I mean, maybe in rushing and average per carry and touchdowns, he's not in the top ten in a lot of different categories. 
I love the debate here on Cardinals cover two. The other point with Hopkins, and you don't see this, and I don't know, Kyle, maybe you find it in one of those websites that you search during the week, but the number of yards <laughs> that he didn't get because of pass interference calls that he drew. I mean, how many times, especially earlier in the season, oh, he's not getting targeted enough. Well, yeah, he was targeted three or four times, but there was three pass interference calls, but that doesn't show up in the final stat sheet. And I think maybe we're talking about an extra 100, maybe 150, maybe 200 yards of added to Hopkins' total. Yeah, I'd have to look it up exactly, but you're right. He had a lot of pass interference yardage, and I'm thinking back to at least one, maybe two in the end zone where they got the ball at the one-yard line. So he doesn't get a touchdown on that play, but when they kick – when they run it in from one yard. It's basically DeAndre Hopkins touchdown, even though it doesn't go in his books. Um, but I think that's a, a good point is even what I can't remember which game it was, maybe Miami when he drew like four or five pass interference yeah. penalties and he might've had 25 yards receiving when it was actually about 80 or 85 when you total up all the yards. So I think, you know, just the overall numbers were really impressive for him and I think 18 people voted for DeAndre and nine for Kyler. So both got a, a decent amount of support, but DeAndre Hopkins did win that category. All right. We have reached the final category here for Cardinals awards for 2020 most valuable Cardinal. And this was one of the few categories Kyle that did hit the 20 vote mark as far as the winner. And again, we're talking about a 27 member panel voting for awards here this past season, but the most valuable Cardinal Kyle Odegaard was who? Kyler Murray was the, your uh, two, 2020 most valuable Cardinal. I did vote for Kyler Murray and I, I take this category very literally asking who is the most valuable player on this team. If you take this player out or this person out of the team, what happens? And we saw exactly what happens in week 17 when Kyler Murray was in the game and when he wasn't. The Cardinals could not move the ball without him against a good defense. And when he came in that game, they moved it. They didn't score enough, but it's just a completely different offense with Kyler Murray. So I do think DeAndre Hopkins, when you look at specific positions, was better. But when you when you talk about how valuable a quarterback is and when you have a good one that gives you a chance. And I think there were moments this season when, when Kyler Murray was phenomenal. And I do think there were moments where the passing game wasn't as efficient enough. The running game wasn't as efficient as it should have been. So there are certainly things to work on, but it, it feels like when Kyler Murray is in the game, this offense always has a chance and you don't feel like that always, especially through the years. I mean, the last couple without him, you were you didn't know where the offense would come from and you were hoping that it would work out, but you didn't believe. And I think Kyler Murray lets you believe that this offense can always move the ball. I went with Kyler Murray as well, based off of your reasoning, Kyle. And I loved what Rob Fredrickson had to say about this. And again, the story is up on azcardinals.com, but he was one of those people that voted for Kyler Murray. And he wrote, quote, as Kyler goes, so goes the Cardinals. No player on this team has the ability to shape the outcome more than K1. And I think that right there, shape the outcome of Sundays, speaks to what Kyler Murray is able to do, throwing the ball and running the ball. And obviously, if you have a quarterback, you've got a chance, MJ. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, they don't win half those games without Kyler Murray this year. I mean, but again, I, I just, like I said, I didn't, like the way he played down the stretch. Now, as for Hop, you guys talking about the numbers, 115 catches, 1,400 yards, average 12.2 yards per catch. We talked about the touchdowns, but also ended up second in targets. He had 160 targets, so that's basically 10 per game if you average. He led the Cardinals in first downs with 75. He, he had 22 on third down. Um, so I just think that, you know, without Hopkins, who were they going to throw to? But it makes total sense uh, – for those that have voted with, with Kyler Murray, he touches the ball on every offensive play, and he was dynamic. He was in the MVP conversation at least the first uh, six or seven games, and you have to put up numbers in this league. And, again, Kyler Murray, um, you know, rushing and passing, I thought he would go over 4,000, uh, just shy of it. I thought he would go over 1,000. He was trending in that direction. And I like I do like that his, his sacks were down and his uh, touchdowns to interception ratio uh, had a couple fumbles, which is going to happen when you you know he holds it like he did. So, 
uh, again, no right or wrong answer, but uh, I just think that dynamic really was the Cardinals offense this year. I thought the offensive line was better in the first half than they were in the second half. And, and let, let's also be frank, they were playing better teams and play, teams were playing for something. Even though the Niners were out, they were still playing for pride and when they were playing for C.J. Beathard in that game. There were some other nominees as far as most valuable Cardinal. Ron Wolfley put Buda Baker as his MVC because it's not MVP. It's not player. And this is the important distinction here. Bird Gang, most valuable Cardinal. I got to give it up to our director of social media, Zach Gallia, who went with head athletic trainer Tom Reed. And I'll second that as well because what he was able to do to get this Cardinals team, and this goes for every trainer across the league, a full season, no game postponed. There was some rescheduling, but a full 16-game season. And knock on wood, gentlemen, we've got two games this Sunday and then the Super Bowl. you got a full season completed in the midst of a global pandemic. But you're right. It's like you got Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and Buda Baker, and these guys are some of the most athletic people in the world, some of the most crazy good football players. And – if you can't be on the field and you can't play the game, it doesn't matter. So I think Tom Reed did an incredible job this season. He was, he really helped out, you know, not just the players and the coaches, uh, but the staff as well. If anybody had any issues, any questions, he, he was a guy who was very communicative and I think everybody appreciates it. Hopefully he can get to like a, a private Island or something and just relax for a couple months. Cause I know he had huge responsibilities all season. And like you said, Craig, he did a tremendous job of, of keeping everybody as healthy as possible, as informed as possible. And the Cardinals did not get bit by the COVID-19 very much at all. I think there's a, a lot of props to him for that. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's the most underrated employee because of what he did, but uh, the fact is that, I mean, every day he probably gets in there at, three or four, and then they get the results. And then he's got to let the head coach and the GM know. And the next thing you know, you got to find out tracing. And now it wasn't just for the players. It was for employees also because they, they obviously didn't want it to spread. So, yeah, unbelievable. And, you know, hopefully we can uh, – I'll do our part and make sure he does get that nice shift for him. The Cardinals Awards for 2020, again, six categories. It is all up on azcardinals.com. Our master of ceremonies, Kyle Odegaard. Appreciate it, Kyle. And uh, I'll say this, if there is a fourth straight appearance here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, then we will have to change the name to Cardinals Cover 3. Yeah, I don't think we talked enough analytics in this one. So if we want to do an analytics-heavy show, let me know. You know, I'm always down for that. Listen, he'll be joining us periodically. We'll also get on Darren Urban, but Kyle has done this for years since he's been with the Redbirds. It's a lot of legwork, so we appreciate it. And then as we inch closer to free agency, he'll start doing free agent breakdown. And then obviously the three of us will start to figure out what's going to happen closer to uh, the draft after free agency. So, Kyle, we have your number. We know how to give you the invite through Craig, so I don't think you can hide on, hide on us anymore. I don't think you have. You're always there when we call you, so we appreciate it. I'm ready to, to debate the outside linebacker stuff. You said some things that I disagree with, so I held my Perfect. tongue for this round because we're focusing on awards, but a long offseason is ahead of us, and I'm ready to debate. Sounds Chime like in, brother. Tease. I appreciate it. That's what we call a tease in the business. Kyle, appreciate it very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Subscribe to Arizona Cardinals Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Listen to your favorite shows on the go, like Cardinals Underground, The Big Red Rage, The Cardinals Red Sea Report, and, of course, this show, Cardinals Cover 2. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast for more information. Again, appreciate Kyle joining us. Before we call it a show, MJ, Championship Sunday. NFC Buccaneers at Packers, AFC Bills at Chiefs. We're really looking forward to both of these matchups. But when I say those four teams, anything stand out amongst those four and these particular two matchups? Well, I mean, if you, if you want to go, and we're going to go body of work, but if you go like teams in the second half of the season, you look what the Bills have done, you look what the Buccaneers have done, um, obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have been consistent throughout the course of the season. 
And then you throw in the Kansas City Chiefs. Me, they're not blowing out teams, and they have six or seven games with one score. Um, but they get it done. And, and defensively, I don't know if they, t- they get talked about enough with the guys like, you know, Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and, you know, some of their corners. Um, so I, I just think um, strong quarterback play from all four of these four of these guys. Josh Allen, you know, top five. I mean, there's nothing wrong being in the MVP conversation. He could have finished third. Russell Wilson kind of flopped in the second half. Uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, it's even though it's a regular season award, he probably should be in the top four. But it doesn't it, for Josh Allen. It's just a matter of time. But I, I think quarterback play, um, and then the weapons they have on offense. There's a reason why we're seeing these four teams in the final four. Yeah, four of the higher scoring offenses in the league. You do need to have a decent defense, and sometimes even a better defense. But the bottom line is, with apologies to our colleague Bertram Berry. Offense is what has gotten these teams to the championship game. And let's go one by one, the road to Super Bowl 55. We will start with the first game, 105 p.m. kickoff Arizona time. And this will be on Fox, the NFC matchup, Buccaneers at Packers. Snow is in the forecast at last check. So Lambeau Field could be a little bit cold, but this is the first postseason meeting, fourth overall between Tom Brady and and Aaron Rodgers, they rank first and fourth among quarterbacks with the most career passing touchdowns in the postseason. They did meet earlier in the year. In fact, it was week six in Green Bay. The weather was great. Buccaneers won that contest 38-10. to 10. They spotted the Packers 10 points and then scored 38 unanswered. I'm guessing, MJ, that is not going to be the case this coming Sunday. Yeah, and, and, and again, this is going to be a great chess match. We know that, you know, uh, Todd Bull's defense is, you know, usually, you know, get off to a not slow start. And then you see them get better as the season progresses and they're healthy. Devin White uh, was obviously a guy that probably one of the best players on the field number. Uh, they call him DW45. And then you throw in Sue and, and JP Paul and the way their secondary is playing. Um, between Davis and Bunting, I mean, they're, they're getting production. And so when you look at that standpoint, Todd's going to bring the blitz. Um, he's going to make it uncomfortable for Aaron Rodgers. But now we know that they're, they're down their left tackle and David Bakhtieri. Um, but I, I don't know if it's going to be high scoring. Um, I think you're going to have to make some stops. If they get 10 possessions, um, you know, you're going to have to limit their possessions. We know special teams and defensive touchdowns get magnified, especially in a game like this. But the fact that Tom Brady's 14 start in the conference, I mean, uh, we talked about it earlier in the week where Joe Montana had seven. Now, Brady's nine and four in these games. Now, he's nine and four in these games. And, you know, you look at his postseason games, he's got 43 wins, 12,000 yards passing, 77 touchdowns. I mean, that's the most in any player. Uh, he's got some weapons in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, 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 and Gronk. You know, I didn't, look, I didn't look this up until yesterday, but you know, when you look at receptions, yards, and touchdowns, Gronk has the most in NFL history. Wow. And that's because he's had opportunities. Now, he's this is the first time in a long time he's been able to play a 16-game schedule. And they're a team that's going to have to play four games to get to the Super Bowl. So, uh, Sean Murphy Bunning is playing really well. Um, so, it's going to be a great matchup, a chess match between Todd Bowles and um, Matt LaFleur. And then you look at Mike Patton. Uh, against Byron Leftwich. I mean, you're talking about quality matchups here, and, and there's a reason why Todd Bowles is being mentioned for a possible head coach, whether it happens this year or next year. Everyone's going to focus on the quarterback matchup here, and it's well-deserved. You brought up Brady's 14th conference championship game appearance. Rodgers, this will be his fifth career start. First, though, at home, and whether that's a factor or not, who knows. But if you can get through this contest as far as the quarterbacks are concerned someone else is going to have to step up and you look at Green Bay and Devontae Adams but that requires Aaron Rodgers to throw him the ball can you run against this Tampa Bay defense and then the flip side is if you're Todd Bowles and the Buccaneers defense can you keep Rodgers in check and that's been difficult to do all season long for any opponent yeah and just to give everyone a heads up it's interesting. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Uh, week six mat- rematches. Each championship contest is a rematch of what happened during the regular season. Arian says they're a different team. 
Um, and then you look at, you know, uh, when Kansas City traveled to Buffalo, they won 26 to 17. Buffalo's, you know, is on a roll. Uh, again, they're, they didn't put up as much points in these first two playoff games. And a lot of people thought the Colts could have beat them if they could have got a little bit more production out of Phillip Rivers. And then as for we know how they defeated the uh, Packers, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, uh, they scored, they're up 10 nothing in that game and he had two interceptions. And yeah, Todd brought the blitz there, Todd Bowles. So I don't know how much we can take about take from that game. It's not like it's division games. Um, you know, it's more, you know, conference games where you don't have the familiarity but you, I think there's something you can take what worked and what didn't and then for the, for the Packers you got to make adjustments there just like the Bills you brought up the meeting in week six for both of these two contests let's flip it over to the AFC following Buccaneers and Packers Bills at Chiefs 440 p.m. kickoff on CBS and again this is kickoff Arizona time rain in the forecast in Kansas City, but you got the top two seeds in the conference. And the Chiefs, as you mentioned, did beat the Bills earlier this season. That game, though, was in Buffalo. And Kansas City was able to run the football against that Bills defense. And that is why they were able to win that contest. And I think a lot of people believe that if it is Kansas City that comes out of this contest this weekend, it's going to be because of Patrick Mahomes. And this is assuming Mahomes is playing. We do know he practiced it on a limited basis this week. I certainly believe he will play. And if he does play, then that's certainly going to make things a lot more difficult for Buffalo to get past Kansas City. Yeah. And, you know, you know, Sean McDermott, three out of the last four seasons as head coach, the Bills been in the playoffs. You know, he's worked with Andy Reid for a long time. Uh, McDermott has coached in five conference championships and two Super Bowls under Andy Reid. I want to say he was a replacement to the late Jim Johnson, who was a longtime coordinator, one of the best ever. And, and he, this is his first championship game appearance as a head coach. So he does have playoff experience. Obviously, when you move over a different seat, you're the head coach. Uh, Josh Allen put up a, you know, 4,500 passing yards, 37 touchdowns, eight rushing touchdowns, became the first player with at least 4,500 passing, 35 touchdown passes, and five rushing touchdowns in a single season in NFL history. We know Stephon Diggs, you know, he's he's had at least six catches in 15 consecutive games, including the postseason. That would tie Wes Welker, Antonio Brown, and Marvin Harrison for the longest streak in NFL history. Again, curious to see if they move him around. Um, are we going to see them uh, play man-to-man or zone? Because we know that Josh Allen can run outside the pocket. He's big enough uh, to you know, get first downs where Rivers was stationary. Um, he couldn't do that. So it's going to be interesting just the chess match there um, when it comes to Leslie Frazier and then Andy Reid. You know, the play call, Leslie Frazier, he is having an interview with the Houston Texans. I think that's the only spot. Um, also, Eric Bieniemy and then the coordinator with the Colts, the defensive coordinator there. So we'll see what happens. But Leslie Frazier did a really good job in, in the previous playoff game. We'll see if he can do it against a different team that's got more speed than I would say the Indianapolis Colts does. Chiefs offense, very, very good, very, very explosive. Yet the defense doesn't get talked a lot about. But let's point out one player in particular who might be having one of his better seasons and he had a good season last year for the defending Super Bowl champions, and that's Tyron Matthew. Cardinal fans know all about the Honey Badger as far as his instincts, his ability to get to the football quicker than sometimes the receiver is able to get to the football. But Tyron Matthew certainly has played big so far this season and this playoff run as well. Wouldn't surprise me if he came up with another interception or caused some disruption for that Bills offense. Yeah, and it was a play last week where he was coming off the edge and he got pancaked. And 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 it was for a tackle for loss. So basically the defense won and he kind of said tackle for loss and then him and the lineman kind of just patted each other like, okay, I get it. Uh, but he got pancaked, got right back up. I mean, I don't know, pound for pound. I mean, this guy gets it done. He, we, we've interviewed him. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he plays hard. He's smart. He watches a lot of film. You could see – He's able to read things with his eyes, and that's very important when you play in that secondary. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but, uh, you know, I, I think Josh Allen's going to challenge those guys. They got three legit wide receivers. Now, Cole Beasley, he didn't catch a single pass in that last game. But you know what he told Stephon Diggs after the game? I'm going to continue to be open. So, w- in other words, 
Um, if, if Diggs is going to get all the targets, he's open. And then we know John Brown had six catches, gives him another dimension there. They do throw their tight ends and knocks. Um, so they do have some weapons. Now, when you look at the Bills, they had five players that were selected for the Pro Bowl. Obviously, when you win a lot of games, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Tremont Edmonds, Andre Roberts, former Cardinal, and then Tredavious White. Now, when it comes to Patrick Mahomes, he's recorded at least one touchdown pass and one rushing touchdown in three consecutive um, postseason games. That's tied with Steve Young, longest in NFL history. Um, Tyreek Hill, you know, he had eight catches for 110 yards. Travis Kelsey, I didn't realize this. He finished second among players with 1,416 receiving yards. That's the most in a single receiving yards for a tight end. He had 103 receptions last year. He had 105 this year and became the first tight end in history with at least 100 receptions in multiple seasons. I mean, we talk about targets. I mean, this guy is like a built uh, a wide receiver playing that position. And he, it's what surprises me because the speed with uh, um, Hill and then we'll see about Watkins. He's always kind of injured. Uh, Mikel Hardman. Um, when you look at that, Kelsey's always wide open. It's amazing how wide open he gets. You would think you would double him or bracket him with a safety or a linebacker, but, you know, he's – he's. He, I mean, he's a weapon. I mean, it's not like, you know – I don't know if you double team because you got to pick your poison when it comes to covering those those receivers. And if they get their rookie running back back, they're going to they're gonna have a nice two-headed monster with the running game. I like the home team in both of these contests, although it wouldn't surprise me if the Buccaneers and Bills are the teams that play in Super Bowl 55. So prediction time, MJ, who are we talking about next week here on Cardinals Cover 2? A two-week run-up to Super Bowl 55. What are the two teams that are going to win this weekend? You know, people are asking me if I'm rooting for Bruce Arians. I mean, I, I like Bruce. I like covering him. You know, the last couple of years, I, I thought things got a little, you know, sideways from a standpoint. Uh, maybe they got fat and happy, you know, winning those uh, those the 10, 11, and 13 games. Uh, no, I, I, I like what the Packers have done. I'm going to pick the Packers in this game and, you know, nothing against the, the Buccaneers. You know, Tom Brady, obviously, is one of the greatest quarterbacks in NFL history. Um to have another one on his mantle would be um, just it's it's crazy to think that he's going to play a couple more years. So I I, I do like the Packers, and uh, you know I hate to go against the Bills uh, two weeks in a row, and, and, and if they get to the Super Bowl, I better even not even think about it. Um, kind of like both home teams, I, I just think the Chiefs are battle tested. I, I think it was really important for Josh Allen and his career to win playoff games because you know, that knock on Lamar Jackson, how far can he take you? He's a good regular season quarterback, um, but can he make some noise in the postseason? And Josh Allen's played at a high level. So I think that game's going to go toe-to-toe just like the other, but I, I do like both home teams. All right, Bird Gang, you've heard it here on Cardinals Cover 2. Mike Jarecki going with the Packers and Chiefs to meet in Super Bowl 55. And then, of course, we'll talk about it next week and then the week after that because we got a two-week run-up to Super Bowl 55, which will be played in Tampa. On that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Once again, thank you very much to Kyle Odegaard joining us earlier on the show. Special thanks, as always, to our executive producer, Jim Amahundro. For Mike Jarecki, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.